This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bell one time on Friday. Set participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. And I'm Josh Willicombe. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice and, of course, tales of parenting woe. Because, let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. Hello, you're listening to Now That's What I Call Parenting Hell, Volume 4. So then you started stand-up when your daughters, uh, when your children, the older ones, were teenagers. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, two were in double figures and one was very young. And how did the kids react to that? Well, Josh, for the longest time, I was doing open mic in, you know, buttfuck. They didn't know what I was doing. They were like, you're not really... Anyway, I never read goodnight stories and all that because they don't do in India. And I thought it was always so tedious. So that's not like they missed that. But what about bath time? No, no, bath time. No, they have a bath. What am I going to do? I mean, of course, they're not that small. When they were small, I was in the bath. I didn't want them to drown. But as soon as they could have a bath, I was like, go have a shower. What are you doing? So what age would you let them shower alone? You know, when they were like a reasonable age, whatever, like, I don't know, six, seven. One of my kids had a habit of going into the shower and coming back and coming out and with a totally dry face. And I'd be like, who are you kidding? <laughs> I was like, how is this How is this possible? He said, no, mommy, I did. I said, you did not. You did. Come on, dude. Come on. And then by the time it was like, really the only time your kids know is when they're friends or, or you're on YouTube or TV. I mean, otherwise, how do they know? They don't. Yeah. And I think for me, that was probably, I think it was maybe when I did um, Have I Got News For You, which I did very early, maybe, I I don't know, you know, very early and it just happened. And uh, I think my son was, he said, he asked me, were you on Have I Got News For You? And I said, yes. He said his science teacher had asked him. And he said, I said no to him. And I said, why? And he's like, why would you be on TV? And I was like, (laughs) That is a real confidence booster. Yeah, but I think the other thing is I didn't like I didn't used to talk about it at home really because I just it was just it's just something I did that was not you know like for the kids I was st- because I was still always a full on mom I was still taking them to school waking them up going to see their football packing their lunch who has the time in between telling them to stop beating each other up and get their shit together and get in the car to be like oh by the way I'm doing stand up like who who nobody. <laughs> You know, and I'm very, I've always been quite demanding academically of the children. So by and large, they don't like to talk to me. Are you quite stern, mother? <laughs> like quite strict? I I mean, I'm told I'm strict. Who by? Everybody in the house. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about like other kids of friends and family? Have there been things you don't like going on in your house and, and you've had to impose your stricter rules on other kids? I wouldn't do that to other people's kids in our home. If they come, they behave badly. They're my guests. They can. You will see my kids looking at me in utter panic. Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and they look at me in like, they're like terrorized because they know what it means to me, but they've also understood. We have a phrase in in Sanskrit, which is atithi deva bhava, which is the guest comes as God. So you do never criticize your guests. You know what I mean? No matter what. But when they leave, I look at the kids and they're like, we know, we got it. We saw it. <laughs> um, but I think there's a very strong code with the children, you know, about what's done and what's not done. So when you say, because you were obviously, you you didn't do the bed, you don't do the bedtime stories. What are the other British, not parenting traditions, but kind of parenting norms that you find kind of baffling like that or just like? Well, I mean, baffling, you know, I do know, I can see why you guys tell stories yeah. and it's nice. I just, I'm like, I'm not fucking doing it. I I'm just... <laughs> I just, it's not even like that baffling. All right, I'll, re- I'll rephrase it. the question. What other things are you not fucking doing? <laughs> um, I don't, what else do I not do? I don't really play with them. Okay. Like I play, they're around me playing. Yeah. Like now I play with them because I've taught all of them how to play rummy and three card poker. That's fine. But yeah. I won't play like fucking, you know, Lego schman. No, 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 no. I've, I've been a kid. I did all this. But don't you find that nostalgia going back to those games and doing something together? Don't, don't you like get a buzz from that? No, but I do other kid things with them. Like, for example, you know, I've always had, I've always been a little, I've always been a little bit uh, cavalier with this bedtime business, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's when they were very little, then you have to because you need a routine. Blah, blah, blah. But like, say when they're four, five, six, seven, like when they've started school. I mean, before they go to nursery, I don't care when you sleep. When you fall asleep, I'll pick you up where you are and then that's it enough. Thank you. But if we're going out and you're going to be sleepy and then, you know, misbehave, then we have like, don't do that either. So my husband is like, you have no rules. These kids just have to adapt. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much right. (laughs) But every once in a while, you know, there'll be something we want to do. Like there'll be a TV show that we all want to watch and it's like past their bedtime. I'm like, screw the bedtime. Let's watch. Or like, you know, if there's a movie that we really want to watch and somehow we can't watch on the weekend, I'm like, let's watch it now. The one thing that I, I, and I don't have many rules around like dessert and ice cream and whatever, like this fine, it's in the fridge or we have this, eat it. You know, like just use some sense. So would you say you let the small things go, but big things you come down on them quite hard? I think so. I mean, I, you see kids, the ki- the things that kids do, which are interesting to both kids and me, I'm there. I'm there. Like I took my children alone when they were four and two to Disneyland by myself. Oh my Ooh. God. All the way to Los Angeles. From London? Well, I went from London to Atlanta to attend my cousin's wedding. Uh, which was a great wedding, by the way. And then from there, I was like, well, I'm not going back to London. We're already here. So I was like, let's go to LA. And my husband was like, I can't do it. I'm like, that's fine. I got this. So there's those kinds of things, which I think a lot of adults are like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll be fine. And we had a great time. The other thing I used to do, which the kids um, later told me they had never heard of anyone doing was, I really like Pixar. Okay. Like really. So when the first few Pixar movies came out, there used to be one every 18 months, like when these, when my teens were young, 
I used to not want to go on the weekend because everyone brought their kids and kids would talk and it would be like a kiddie movie event. And I'm like, I don't have fucking time for this. So I used to go on the first day that the movie came out, which is usually a Thursday or Friday. And I would go to the school. I did this with both the, with both of them. Go to the school, tell the school there was a dental appointment or something. Get the kid out of class. And the middle of the day, we would go to the movies. Oh, I bet, oh, my, I bet your kids loved it. Oh, my God. Well, it's they and I didn't tell them because you see kids will tell their friends. And so I would just do it. And I had to because both my kids have my husband's gene of being very honest they would look at me with their eyes like saucepans. I'm like, remember the dentist? And we would leave. And I'd be like, dude, we're going to movies. And their heads would explode. And I'd be like, but here's the thing. If you go and tell your friend tomorrow, I'm going to go to jail. So they never told. (laughs) They were like, oh, shit. (laughs) And now they tell me that was so bad. Like, we were so scared. But you're generally hard on them academically. Does that not go against that? One day of missing school, you're going to not get a, you're not going to get 10 on 10. What's the matter with you? One day. (laughs) (laughs) He loves being negative. And that's what happens to teenage boys. Mm. They just want to shit on your dreams. (laughs) Just (laughs) the fake of it, right? So, for example, his uh, school, about a a year and a half ago, had a, a trip to Auschwitz. They had a trip to Auschwitz. Uh, the whole year we're going to go, and I thought, obviously, with our heritage, that would be a good thing for him to do. And, you know, bleak and awful, but also very important or whatever. So I say to him one breakfast, you know, Ezra, I think you should go on this trip. That would be good. And he's like, nah. And I'm like, no, really, look at me. Take it seriously. I really think a lot of our relatives died. There might be a good thing for you to do. And he goes, none of my friends are going. I go, okay, I really think it's important for you to go and he says ah oh, no I really I can't be bothered <laughs> and I found myself saying the actual word Ezra I don't have to force you to go to Auschwitz <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's, he lives for memes I got irony an incredibly high level of irony being like scornful about me uh, and that video games and FIFA and stuff like that does he respect your career? no I mean <laughs> secretly but I, I think, no. Uh, well, certainly, he loves saying, today, I know a lot of people are working from home, but if you've got a family, it's often a good idea to think, like, oh, I'm going to go and write somewhere else. Yeah. Right? So I'm thinking about doing that. So I went and saw a flat today, and I'm afraid to have to tell you, my friends, that I'm, I mean, I had a mask on, but nonetheless, I'm there with the very young estate agent, and he says, oh, so you're going to come and live here? I said, no, I'm going to use it just for writing. He went, oh, what, are you a writer? And I went, well, yeah, I'm a writer and comedian. He went, oh, right, all right. And I told this to Ezra, and he just said, yeah, what you wanted was a 50-year-old bloke who likes football. And I thought, right, yeah, Ezra, that's I know. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been nicer, right? He could have said that's his fault for being ignorant or whatever, not, yeah, well, young people don't know who you are, Dad. <laughs> but but young people do know who you are because yes. you've sold 1.5 million Children's, children's books. books. Yeah, here's one. Oh, actually, not we're not on the telly on the on the internet, but so your new children's book, Future Friend. Yes. Which so how many of, how many how many have you written? Is that five? He's, he's written one point five million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sold one each. It's a good way to get into the million books sold. <laughs> very well. <laughs> um, I've written seven uh, children's books. 
uh, and one actually one and a novella. So seven and a half children's books. And, and why did you go? Was it partly to impress your children or entertain your children? Or Well, it came from Ezra, uh, the idea for the first one. I mean, actually, I was having a row, not a row, but a thing today. I think The Guardian <laughs> are about to do a... You talk about Ezra like Tyler Durden in Fight in Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just your split personality living with you. I don't know if he really exists. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, I was having a, a constant row on Twitter and sometimes elsewhere. Like I think the Guardian are doing a piece about how uh, comedians and celebrities should not write children's books, right? Because it right. causes uh, it means that. Um, you know, probably true at some level, not that they shouldn't, but that it does create problems for those people who want to write children's books who haven't got like a pre-established name or brand yeah. or whatever. Anyway, I my point being that I didn't particularly think, oh, I want a bit of that David Williams action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my son gave me an idea is what happened. When he was eight, he said to me, Dad, why doesn't Harry Potter run away from the Dursleys, uh, obviously the horrible muggle family that he has to live with, but mm. he's not at Hogwarts. Why doesn't he run away from them and try and find some better parents? And I could have said to him the literary answer to that, which is, well, I think it's because J.K. Rowling wants to suggest that Hogwarts is very magical and so he, she creates a very uh, negative, humdrum life for him when he's not at Hogwarts. Well, I didn't say that. I said, because <laughs> too long. Uh, I said, that's given me an idea. And the idea was a world in which children can choose their own parents. Uh, and that led to my first children's book, which is called The Parent Agency, about yeah. a kid called Barry, who is annoyed with his parents all the time, wishes for better parents, goes through his bedroom wall into a world run by kids in which parents basically have to audition to get children. Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, and he tries out tries out five different types of parents. And, yeah, so I wrote that. And what you just said, Josh, about it being a good idea, the reason I said that was not just being self-aggrandizing. The reason that I wrote it is that when I had that idea, because of what Ezra said, I thought, that sounds like a really good idea for a children's book. So much so, I thought someone else must have done it, but they haven't. And you know when you have a good idea, that's often how it feels. Like, yeah, it yeah. feels so classic, someone else must have done it. Um, and it did do really well. And at that point, I thought, now I do want a bit of that Williams action. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. I remember when they were small and that bit where they possibly nap in the afternoon and then if if that doesn't happen, you more or less want to kill yourself. That, that, that period is behind me now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the flip side is the evenings are off limits because their idea of when they should be going to sleep, oh, of course, is okay. like, I mean, a 10-year-old is basically a teenager in terms of how much 
he demands to stay up. So yeah, again, the routines of the day just get shifted. Um, yeah. I think I'd take my evenings over. If you offered me to lose two hours of the evening to my daughter staying up, but I gained two hours in the morning, I think I'd prefer to lose the time in the morning still. Yeah. But the evenings are... I don't have the... I can't offer you that anyway. I don't control it, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, also, but with the... So, obviously, the, the kids splitting times between the two houses and stuff, do you ever sort of clash slightly on the, on the parenting? And is it harder to sort of, like you know, agree on how, how it should be done when you're not, you know, there together the whole time. Or, it's certainly it not smooth. Yeah. Um, of course, kids are quite good at exploiting. Again, in football terms, they will, they will slip between the two central defenders. They'll, <laughs> you know, they'll tell my ex that, that we, oh yeah, we did that at dad's house and vice versa. But it, we, mm. we have to co- cooperate to sort of put the pieces together because the 10 year old in particular is a sophisticated uh, sort of cheat now he'll always like claim yeah. that he gets certain privileges at the other place or that he's already done his homework there or you have to be you have to both have your mind switched on to stay to stay ahead of it yeah um and it's yeah there has to be a lot of cooperation and sometimes i've got better at just accepting that I, it's not going to always go well as well yeah. um because we have a lot so, of people email in and solicitors and stuff that are sort of separated and have to the kids split time between yeah. the two parents and it, it always it strikes me it must be so difficult even if you do have a good relationship after you've separated um, it's difficult to make you know make sure they're all telling the truth and stuff but if you didn't get on that well with your ex it must be impossible if there's not that you know because some yeah. some you know some cars you know, friends of mine growing up and you see that they'd like have to be dropped off at the end of the road type thing and then there's, they don't actually see each other the, 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 you the, said the, to me the, Rob the, didn't you that the only reason you're staying with Lou is because it would be such a nightmare to be divorced that oh, was yeah. the words you used <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely right I don't money wise especially yeah <laughs> oh I tell you what that it is fiddly yeah yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't 100% recommend the process uh, if, if you can avoid it. Um, and we, we were kind of, it was a little bit acrimonious for a while. We were never quite at that, leaving them at the end of the road stage. But um, things are sort of reasonably equitable now. And even if they weren't, you'd, yeah, you'd have to make them because your, your mental energy for like fighting people is almost zero when you're also fighting with uh, the world the way it is at the moment, Yeah, I think. Yeah. So in some ways, all of us have learned to get better at like all of the interpersonal relationships have had to get better because otherwise you just can't you can't manage. Yeah. But that takes mental energy as well. And there are days when you sit there and think, well, I just I, th- I think it's a case of have a glass of wine and forget about everything here. Yeah. And by a glass, I'd mean quite a large glass. <laughs> potentially. <laughs> and do, do you like um, what's it like? Like when they're not there and then they turn up. Like so, you're because you're getting half. You're seeing them for half the week. Yeah. So does it feel like you're living kind of two different lives in a way? It really does. Sometimes uh, when, especially because uh, the like my uh, partner and I run sort of a production company as well mm. from from this house. Uh, so a lot of the time there's there is kind of there's a lot of work going on. Things feel orderly here. Everything feels you know feels more or less like being a, a proper human being. Um, and then you're aware that within 15 minutes of the kids being in the house, uh, it will be it will resemble a circus more than a workplace. Yeah. And um, you know what I've tried to get better at is not bracing myself too much for that. If you if you if even as you're picking up the kids, you feel tense, thinking, "Oh Christ, here we go." 
uh, that is not a good thing to project to them probably. Mm, no. So these days I try to um, kind of accept, like mentally accept the chaos. It's like, I tell you what is a bit easier is, is being able to take them to, you know, cafes or to the yeah. cinema. And the worst bit for me was when there was literally no building outside your house that it was legal to, to set foot in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least now I feel like not everything has to be in the house, but you're right, Josh, it is basically like for the last few months, I felt like, um, the the halves of me that are and aren't looking after the kids are almost two separate people. There's a person that um, can get quite a number of tasks done in a day, and then there's a person that has to cower in a toilet to get a single email away. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're parenting these past six months and you don't regard your bathroom as the office, then you're doing better than me. What a place! A door, is- a, a door with a lock on it has become so so valuable in this period. <laughs> Yeah, mine's, mine's worked out the old 10p trick, though. We can just undo it for the other side. That Is was that a thing? Day. Yeah. You know, like, if it's one of those locks where it's not a key, it's a little, like... Oh, like it's a, a turning a, thing. Like a turning, like a little turning knob. On the other side, there's a little slit, like, for a screwdriver, a little... T- you can get a 10p in there and turn it. Wait a minute. I don't think... I don't think I'll allow them to listen to this in that case. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, they probably shouldn't be, for all sorts of reasons, to be fair. <laughs> I don't know if you should be publicising knowledge like this, uh, Rob. This sounds borderline criminal. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yes. I, I mean, I wouldn't endorse it, but it, it can be done. You haven't exactly distanced yourself from it either, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, how do um, you sort of do Christmases and stuff like that? Then do you sort of have a year with the kids or a year not with the kids, or is it? Is it, sort it, of a bit it more took fluid? a little bit of time to work it out, and uh, mm. the past two years we've done. Uh, Christmas Day itself with our respective new setups. And then we've done things all together on Christmas Eve and Boxing Day. Oh, nice. um, for the past two or might be three years, it's been Winter Wonderland on uh, Christmas Eve and then Pantomime on Boxing Day. Oh. Uh, but of course... Who are you playing in the pantomime? Oh, just a set of bit parts for me. I, I, I've, Back I, uh, yeah, Chris Whitty was the lead, obviously. Um, <laughs> And it is nice, and that kind of Christmas Eve Boxing Day, I then tend to take them to my parents later in the in that mm. bit between Christmas and New Year, where mm. it's a case of right, what do we do now? Um, but all of this is sort of hanging in the balance, isn't it? I shouldn't think there'll be pantomimes, and I'd be very, very surprised if Winter Wonderland is allowed to happen because no, that's basically no, not happening. There you go. I mean, I think that's probably sensible because that is essentially forty thousand people in quite a small field, <laughs> um, and a lot of them are pissed on mold wine and German sausages. I mean, the more I talk about it, the more disappointing it is it's not happening, actually, because yeah. Winter Wonderland does sort of look like a hellscape, but it is a great place to entertain kids for so four hours. So what happens at a Winter Wonderland? I've never been to Winter Wonderland. Well, it's, if you haven't got kids, there's, it would be a weird decision to go, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but basically, it's a big old, like a theme park. Uh, so you've got your Helter Skelters and those rides that someone like me looks looks at them and immediately throws out, like awful-looking yeah. rides. But then there's also this um, either German or fake German uh, market with booze and sausages and stuff like that. Um, so it is it's quite a good Park, place. Isn't it? It's yeah. all in Hyde Park. Yeah. And uh, traditionally, it gets so muddy that it's more like being at Glastonbury. It's, yeah. um, in a lot of ways, it's quite an unpleasant experience. But it is a place where the kids can have quite a nice night and you can get quite drunk, in all fairness. Um <laughs> guilt-free and those are the as close to guilt-free as you can be getting pissed yeah. with kids yeah um so uh, 
and also if you go like in the afternoon evening it obviously gets dark it's christmasy it has that sort of it's the sort of thing that you are aware that the kids are um they're forming nice memories even though you're looking around thinking well there's too many idiots here and that was just 14 pounds for a mold cider there yeah it's so <laughs> expensive isn't it it really is the actual i don't know how much the actual tickets to it cost but as soon as you get through they've absolutely got you oh, um yeah. you come away having had quite a nice christmas experience but you're about a grand down yeah. um when rubbish went to see mr tumble at wembley arena with his kids obviously and it was like at 10 quid for a 12 inch hot dog and he's like well, do you do a smaller one and i was like no is that is that three-year-old it, it's absolutely 12 inch hot dog that you weren't eating any of those kids arena shows are unbelievable i took my kids to paw patrol live at the o2 um <laughs> I know, which is a, the bleakest sentence I've ever said out loud. Like? I uh, well, so, have you seen Paw Patrol? Yes, they're big yeah. fans in my ass. Right, well, imagine that, but shit. Um, <laughs> imagine that, but instead of sort of a lovable animation, it's just people, you know, pretending to be dogs. The, the main thing with it was is, uh, it wasn't the O2, it was, Wem- it was again, Wembley Arena. Um, <laughs> it was the sort of place that, you know, 10 years ago, you might have seen Arcade Fire. Now you're watching a bunch of blokes pretending to be dogs. And um, being it, going to stuff on that scale, like going to music venues, but to see kids stuff really oh. reminds you of how your life has changed, I think. Um, yeah. Like you're thinking what happens last time. Poor Patrol Live. Sorry? What happens in Poor Patrol Live? It's just like, how long is how... Oh, I, I can, got... can summarise so... it for you very easily, Rob. Hard yeah. anything happens in it. Um, you, you basically. What happens in Paw Patrol Live is everyone responsible for putting on the show makes an enormous amount of money. Uh, <laughs> because as with Romesh's hot dog story, there's like there's any amount of dog merch that the kids all yeah. want. And I course. can't believe the actors are getting paid well. They're not on a door split. I don't think... <laughs> no, it's not, there's not a bucket collection at the end. <laughs> the, um, the actors are... Uh, it should be like that, actually. It should be like a free fringe show in Edinburgh and at the end they should come and say, well, I think if, if you'd seen that on the West End, that would have been 45 quid. So if you wouldn't mind putting that in my bucket. Um, <laughs> but this, it's, someone's making a lot of money because not only... So basically they come out, they do like a, you know, what would pass as an average episode of Paw Patrol, but all of it is uh, they're in costumes and it's done partly by talking, partly by, you know, like voiceover tracks and stuff. There's a few songs and then pretty quickly it's over and the lights come up, and if you banked on passing the, you know, killing the afternoon with your kids, there's this horrible feeling of like, that is that it? Um, so it works out about seventeen pounds a minute, and um, <laughs> you often get this with shows for the very young kids. It's it, you pay what you'd pay for a theatre show, and it's billed like a theatre show. But after forty five minutes, it's a case of there's a particular feeling you get when they begin a song which has the look of an end song about it yeah. and you're filled with this cold fear of like hang on a minute let's not start singing a song that goes we've all had a lovely time it's time to leave the theatre <laughs> I don't think it is quite So what kind of parenting were you did you grow up with Carl? Well they were just um, quite you know it's not their own fault my, my dad I don't think was a particularly uh what's the word natural dad you know he was old he was 43 when i was born so there was no there was no and he was he just, he's uncomfortable around kids so like which is awkward when you've got two of them so <laughs> like that we never played with i never i don't remember once ever playing with my dad you know what i mean he was just i think yeah. he waited until i was in my teens and we could hold a conversation before he actually learned to communicate 
and there was never like he's never he's never been very loving or yeah he's just naturally an old-fashioned bloke do you know what i mean just yeah, fits yeah. in the corner and sort of grunts now and again and watch just constantly watches telly and my yeah. mum is quite a neurotic irish woman who's very you know when i say neurotic i mean to a, a pathological level so <laughs> she was always so stressed and anxious about everything that that sort of you had to i don't me and my brothers definitely just sort of went our own way quite we were quite independent from a young age because we were like I don't think I think we've outgrown these people <laughs> like yeah. by our early teens. So we just went off and you know did our own thing. Because you've always been quite grown up, haven't you? I'd say like I mean I've, I never knew you as a teenager, but I've known you for like, last like, 10, 12 years. Yeah, comedy, but I think you've always been sort of even when you were young on the comedy circuit, it was almost like an elder statesman, the grown up, like the older brother of everyone. And you've always sort of been older than your years. I think I've always it? felt older. Like I remember, I remember I started cooking my own dinners when I was at home when I was about twelve because I didn't like my mum's cooking. Which is, I think, looking a back, power play. that is rude, isn't it? Like <laughs> at the time, I think I thought oh, it's just it will take the load off her, you know. She so she doesn't have to stress, and you know, and I can cook myself what I want to cook, and I learned to cook from doing that. But looking back, I do think that is <laughs> I'd take yeah. it personally. If, my daughter, when she's twelve, go look. You take a night off, mate. I'll cook yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, not hear that shit again. Um, so, do you think though? There's because this is something I've sort of read up upon. Where if you were parenting a certain way, you'll sort of almost try and counteract that with your own child. And whereas you were maybe left your own devices and to be a grown up quite early on, do you think there might be a danger that you may? not um, like overcompensate, not smother your daughter, but like, are you aware that you maybe do too much for her? And then that way she gets a bit mollycoddled. Definitely. I mean, there is, yeah, I'm I'm pretty certain I'm going to probably veer too far that way because I, I and it's mainly because I want, I want her to grow up and like me and trust me and actually be able to go to me. You're desperate, mate. (laughs) Get me the guitar and the cowboy hat. Let's go. Love me, love me, love me. (laughs) No, but I think it's it's quite almost a sad point to it. But I want her to. I want to. I want her to like me when she's older and go to me or feel like she can come to me if she's got problems or. You know, I've ne- I would never go to my parents if I had a problem. I'd go to my mates. Like, I've got mates who I'd go to way before my parents. Mm. But I've never asked mm. them for anything. And it's that's not it's not just because of their financial situation and the fact they haven't got any money and things like that. It's more just I wouldn't go for the to them for emotional advice or yeah. anything really, just because I think I was always like, ah, oh, that's not really their forte. Whereas so I want to be able to at least offer that to my child. So she if she's ever in dire straits or whatever she can actually come to me not just think well i need to go through my whatsapp list to see who else i can ask would you find that you parent in a different way to your parents rob um you, not many people know that uh russell kane was brought up on a hippie commune <laughs> <laughs> i don't know really i th- i'm not yet really I, I think it's more when we we were treated like you go out and you get a job type thing at like six. I always work from like 14 and stuff. And not that I want my kids not to have sort of that same work ethic, but I, I think the, the proof will be more w- with the teenagers. So it's just trying to find yeah. that balance of, I don't want to go too far one way or one too far the other, but it's just trying to get that the right balance of, yeah, go out and work because you need to work to get money. But also I think that instilled a fear in me of like, oh my God, we need money. We need money type of thing rather than, 
it yeah. sort of being a bit more relaxed. In fact, yeah, you go to it, you get some money, but that's not the be all and an end all. And I think yeah. that's why some people from working class backgrounds can get consumed by the earning of money yeah. and, and getting the Rolex or the, the flash car and all that to prove that you've got the money. So you've got the money, it's all going to be okay. But actually you're, you're sort of running on a, on a subconscious level of fear that it's all going to go away the whole time. So it's, yeah. it, and, and it, that work ethic they instilled in me was, brilliant and really helped me in my career however I, you want to try and make sure it's not too ingrained that it defines you and then you never stop to relax and go it'll be okay we'll get on yeah. whatever happens do you know what I mean so I think that's why it's interesting with Carl when Carl's gone you know I'm a bit sort of hip like hippie-ish and arty farty to my family but Carl has gone even beyond with sort <laughs> I love of the, the, the I stuff. love the I love that you are hippie-ish and arty-farty to your family. <laughs> that, that is absolutely amazing. Nobody paints a picture of your family mate, in our mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's mental, isn't it? But then, but then like, you, you'd start, Here he I... bloody is, old Jim Morrison walking in. <laughs> my dad, um, I drove my, my parents up to see my brother. This was just before lockdown. And my brother lives in Nottingham. And I took my parents and my aunt, Ginny, and like my pet, my mum and her sat in the back, just talking incessantly, like as old women do, where they just commentate on everything that happens. And they're uh, all in the baby carrier, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all in the front. Of the no car, no pram. At one point, I I overheard them that we went past one of them big wind turbines, and I just heard my mum go, "Jesus, Ginny, look at the size of that!" Like that, right? And then we went past another one about three minutes later and she went i know i said it before but geez would you look at the size of it <laughs> she just kept commentating on every wind turbine we went past <laughs> and then my dad this is this is what my dad's like my dad got in the car when i picked them up and i was listening to meditation music it was just like Whoa. and uh, my dad sat down and just asked are you guys are you listening to hoovering <laughs> that's what i've got to deal with my whole life do you because you're very kind of relaxed as a person yes and parenting is arguably the least relaxing pursuit, you know, at times. Do you find when you're woken up at 2am or when you're struggling to do something, is it difficult to remain zen, for want of a better word? Uh, Not so far. I've been pretty good. I genuinely would say yesterday when she was having, she had probably the most neurotic day she's had since she was born you know when i mean and what i mean by that is when they first few weeks they literally don't know what they're doing do they they're just yeah. a ball of noise and they're, they're, just, they're so new to the world but so i think then you can it doesn't really matter if they're crying because you totally understand that they to them it must be terrifying to come out into the world but you know since she's become much more aware and fun and laughy and giggly like she's actually been really she's a really chilled out baby and then yesterday was the first time she was pretty much non-stop quite difficult all day and that's the closest i've got to a, like to not being able to just sort of contextualize it and go it's fine she's a baby Do you know what i mean that's what i'm quite, yeah i read i don't know if you did it but i read a lot of books while my wife was pregnant i thought i just you know i've got enough time i'll just do the reading and during lockdown and you know just at the start of the year we were traveling we went over to australia and stuff so i had a lot of time to read and i read a lot of parenting books and child psychology books and i think i just got i really tried to drill into myself to never ever think that the baby is doing it to annoy you that's what i think a lot of parents get into that mind frame of when a baby especially once they get to about four or five months when they become a bit more conscious people think they're trying to manipulate you or they're trying to do they know what they're doing they're, they're really needling you and it's not true they're not they're not <laughs> developed enough to understand that. But at this point, five months in, I'm still, whenever she's 
crying or in you know i always think of it i put myself in her position and go look she's just of course she's upset she's five four and a half months old and there's just been a loud noise or whatever something obviously is causing this. yeah so i'm, I'm at the minute i'm, I'm being still, chilled about still, it there's a still inside you the little oik from tooting carl that surely at some point goes out oh, for fuck's sake yeah a little bit <laughs> it never erupts well do you know what the thing that keeps annoying me is because uh, I've 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 coped with the tiredness really well. So is my wife, and considering she's breastfeeding still through, through the night, like it's unbelievable how she well she's dealt with it. But I've realised I'm mentally relatively normal. I don't feel exhausted, but I'm, I think that's because I'm diverting all my energy to my brain, my body. I'm the clumsiest I've ever been. I knock everything over. <laughs> And my wife just hears me throughout the day. Every half an hour, knock something over and go, oh, shit, like in the other room. <laughs> shit. That's all you can hear just around the house throughout the day. So, yeah, I definitely, I think I still get annoyed about that level yeah. of clumsiness. But in terms of the emotional side, as yeah, I'm, I've somehow managed to maintain this sort of zen. Yeah. And when are you planning on moving uh, the, the baby out of the bedroom, like into their own room? Have you got a plan for that or are you just going to see how it goes? Yeah, we're just going to see how it goes. I think... Yeah, we haven't actually bought a cot yet. Uh, so, which is quite five months in, we've not bought a cot. Uh, but we um, we are looking at one. So we're going to get one of them probably when she's about six months and start seeing if she wants to maybe have her own space and that. And <laughs> it's very much baby-led. <laughs> yeah, just have a quick discussion with her. If her first words are, seriously, can I not sleep somewhere else? <laughs> bloody annoying. Let me have my own bed. Get off me. Stop breathing on me, Dad. And why do you wear the cowboy hat to bed? It's weird. <laughs> oh, do you know what? This is gross. But um, I think I've, 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 in the last couple of weeks, I think I've developed sympathy nappy rash with my uh, daughter. Oh, gosh. This is where the hippie stats come in now for this. Well, well because I've, I'm, an, I'm a naked, I'm, I've always been a naked sleeper, right? For like, well, not always, for the last decade, I've never slept yeah. in any layers whatsoever. I hate it. What was but, the turning point, really? Because I've always been uh, a naked sleeper, but it's only in the last 10 years. Was there a turning point? Just dick was too hot? Well, I mean, <laughs> well when the, she came along and she was in the bed, I felt a bit... I don't know, I felt a little bit grotty with just yes. having my yeah. willy flapping around next to her. <laughs> so I thought I've got to put a layer How up. far down is she sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're calling the wind turbine. <laughs> Look at the size of that. But as she grow as she grows, I don't want I don't want that to be like the barometer, the days that she sort of her foot just touches my knob. I don't <laughs> oh, want yeah. to disgust it. So like, I just I thought do you know what? Out of you know, just out of some level of, and also because you're up and about a lot in the night. Yeah, I thought it's good to at least have a layer on in the nighttime if you, you know, go into your, walking around the house and stuff. So I I started wearing a layer, basically a boxer shorts in bed, and because I haven't worn it for so many years, I basically got nappy rash because it's too warm, oh, and wow. my my bits and pieces are used to having air. Oh wow! So you having to put on the same stuff as her? Are you well, both lying there and putting on your? <laughs> I do your what poor I do. Wife. Put, I, I've got <laughs> legs up. Let's go, both of you. So obviously, you have kids, and your focus changes, right? You mm. know, when you used to look at Google images of of like fit actresses or like an actor that you rated or a comedian or whatever, and you'd always see that Google image result of of them at the premiere of some kids' movie with their kids, yeah. and yeah. you think, oh, actually, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like one day, like. But you can't imagine you doing it. And then when you have kids, you you start thinking about, you stop thinking about adult content all the time. You realize everything mm. you do is has an adult content. And you think, well, it'd be quite cool to have something that my kids could enjoy. 
So, yeah. um, you know, the, obviously they were little. They'd watched the CBB's bedtime stories. And I thought, I know people at CBBC. I don't know anyone at CBB's, but it can't be that much of a leap. I, I must be able to stick my nose <laughs> in there. <laughs> I started making calls and I got in touch with the commissioner at C- CBB's. And she was like, join the fucking queue, mate. Judy Dench is waiting to do this. <laughs> and I, was like, what? I, I thought they'd just snap my hand off. Yeah, I thought they'd just be like, oh my God, yeah, brilliant. Let's let, get in there, do, do something for the kids. So I actually waited years to get on the CBBs. And by the yeah, by the time I got on it, my kids were too old to care. They didn't watch CBBs anymore. <laughs> so it was kind of it was kind of fruitless. But the the other story to it was that I thought they shot it in London, but they shot it in Manchester. I think C children's tv had moved up there and yeah you know manchester for me was always like if i'm going manchester because i've got two of my best friends live up there like it's always a reunion you get on it you know you know those guys that you know where it's like if you meet (laughs) them you're getting on it so i meet up with my friends si and matt and obviously we get on it but ended up having an all-nighter and i I hadn't looked at the call sheet so i was just thinking (laughs) i'll be afternoon or whatever you know when your phone rings in the hotel not your mobile the hotel room oh, phone. Oh. You know there's a problem if your hotel phone ring, oh, uh, ring, <laughs> rings. And uh, it was like the third time and the reception was like, there's, oh. there's a driver waiting here for you downstairs. You've got to come down. It was like frantic. I was like, oh my God. I was fully clothed, just passed out on my bed. <laughs> and I just got up fully clothed and just went downstairs, got in the car. And within like, because it was the Holiday Inn at Media City. So it was like two minutes away so within yeah. within five minutes i was sat in a room with um kerry and this other dude alex who were like the people that babysat my kids while i was doing comedy in those early <laughs> so i was just tripping out I hadn't slept and with the cbb's guys <laughs> and they're just they're just caking makeup on my face i like smelling salts trying to make my eyes look you less must stank as well mate. oh mate i was Oh, I was disgu- I was just so not how I oh. planned to, you know, prepare for uh, my my voice was Did going. They know? Did they know you'd been out? I think I probably told oh. someone, probably told the makeup assistant or something. But <laughs> oh, mate, I was a mess, and I was just really annoyed. But then, you know, people would hit me up online and say, "Oh, my kids love this telling, or they love that telling of the book." So I think I got away the with most emotional they've ever seen. So you were crying throughout, weren't you? you were just- <laughs> No, no one's ever seen awful. someone deliver it looking so yeah. despairing. I felt awful. Eating the kebab was a bit much. But, um, <laughs> oh, I can't wait to watch that now, knowing. Yeah, knowing, knowing, behind the curtain. That's it for this special best of episode. We'll be back next week. If you are not in the queue and you are waiting, then step to the side. He got in touch. He said, yeah, sorry, mate. You didn't seem like yourself the other day. You've only met me three times. The self-service checkout. I don't care what you're called. I'm not getting tricked into working here. People at festivals in those stupid jester hats. But do you know what a snake's penis looks like? <laughs> for a bottle of water. Why is your Wi-Fi Social code ten characters long? People do their shoes off. I don't care Boot if you're watching. Boots cut jeans. What's upset you now? Hello, I'm Paul McCaffrey. And I'm Sean Wall. And we are the hosts of the hit podcast, What's Upset You Now? Each episode is only 15 minutes long. That is perfect for your commute. Absolutely perfect. What, a little 15-minute bus drive?
drive to work? Stick an episode of What's Upset You Now on? What's it all about, Sean? Well, me and Paul and a big-name comedy guest such as Tom Allen or Rob Beckett or Josh Widdicombe will rant about what has got our goat that week for only 15 minutes. All those little things, like, for example, do you know Gatwick Airport are now charging you £5 to get dropped off at their door? And now the sun's back out and people are off doing yoga in the park again. (laughs) New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. What's Upset You Now? With me, Paul McCaffrey. And me, Sean Walsh. Hello, Tom Allen here. And Susie Ruffle. We have a podcast called Like-Minded Friends. It's very much a celebration of, I don't know, what would you say, Suze, being queer? Being queer, but also chit-chat. There's loads of straight people that love it, so I think that you should come along and listen to it. There's something for everybody. It's been described as white noise for gays, but also we had a lovely section about Glade plugins. <laughs> so why don't you listen to it? Search Like-Minded Friends wherever you get your podcasts. That sounded quite professional, didn't it? <laughs> 